Fab Four Sites in Liverpool, and Bootleg Vinyl Records. This week, it's all about the Beatles. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. This is Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast and website for foodies at DestinationEatDrink.com. Welcome to the show. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for listening. This is where we explore the world's great places and cuisines on the Destination Eat Drink podcast and DestinationEatDrink.com. Now, this week, the show is a little bit different. I was archiving some old shows, and I happened to notice how often the topic of the Beatles comes up which I guess shouldn't be a surprise. I'm a huge, huge Beatles fan. I even had a Beatles show for several years back in the 90s on the radio. So I thought it would be fun to revisit a couple of my favorite Beatles-related conversations, including a talk with singer-songwriter Marshall Crenshaw, who was in Beatlemania back in the 70s. He tells me about his love for the Beatles as well as the great artists from his hometown of Detroit who influenced John Paul, George, and Ringo. We also talk about John Lennon in Prague, even though he never actually visited there, and going to Penny Lane in Liverpool and a natural wine shop owner's love of the Fab Four. Okay, cream tangerine, a taste of honey, eating chocolate cake from a bag. I'm starving, so let's eat. Destination, eat, drink. Real Prague guides take tourists around the Czech city to see all the famous sites, including the John Lennon Wall. Valerie from Real Prague Guides tells me about it. Now, Valerie, I'm a big uh, Beatles guy, and mm-hmm. me and uh, my friends, we just got finished watching the uh, Let It Be special, which was on Disney+, Plus, which, you know, is really cool and great to see mm-hmm. the Fab Four together and playing their music and whatnot. But I know in Prague, one of the big tourist attractions is the uh, John Lennon Wall. And my question to you is, as someone who knows... Uh, more than I probably should as kind of a Beatles nerd. Um, (laughs) I know the Beatles never played behind uh, the Iron Curtain, so I know they didn't come and play a concert in Old Town Square. And Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure John Lennon never came to Prague, but there's this big shrine to John Lennon in Prague. Why, Why is that there? What is the reason for that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, why do we have a wall dedicated to somebody who has never been to Prague? <laughs> that's right. a good question. Um, so John Lennon obviously was also famous here as he was everywhere <laughs> on the planet Earth. Uh, but uh, here he was famous under different circumstances because uh, it was uh, still the times of communism and people were not allowed to listen to his music. So it was not sold anywhere in the stores. So they had to smuggle the LPs of Beatles behind the border. Uh, and they would listen to the music of Beatles somewhere at home. So nobody, no police would uh, hear them, for example. And uh, later, of course, when uh, John Lennon died, a lot of people, a lot of fans of John Lennon, they wanted to commemorate his death. Uh, but also they took this um, as an opportunity to fight against the communist regime. They couldn't protest. Protests were not legal during the 
communist times. And there were often these commercials on TV that were uh, discouraging people from listening to rock and roll or any kind of Western music. They were showing the streets of New York, some uh, drunk people on the streets there and saying, <laughs> you see, these people listen to rock and roll. So never listen to rock and roll. So, yeah, so people this, is, this is what our parents in America told us too. You listen to that rock and roll music. <laughs> this is what, so it wasn't just Soviet propaganda. This was American <laughs> propaganda too. <laughs> So yeah, but uh, uh, so uh, they decided to commemorate his death and also protest against the regime. It was sort of like simultaneous. And there was this wall that previously was known as the Wailing Wall. And that's where intellectuals would go and they would write messages uh, sort of uh, accusing or um, criticizing the Communist Party. And uh, that was the wailing wall. But uh, when the protest or the commemoration of John Lennon's death started, somebody drew a symbolic tombstone just with chalk on that wall, R.I.P. John Lennon. And that's that's the beginning of the wall as we know it. And nowadays, it's one of the biggest uh, monuments of the freedom of speech in Prague. And it's very popular. A lot of people go there today, perhaps is too popular because in 2019 uh, a certain pop crow used to go there and finish uh, the the pop crow there as uh, some of you might know pop crows are usually inside that one was different mm-hmm. <laughs> they would finish the pop crow next to John Lennon will give people spray paint and leave them there kind of abandon them at 4 a.m. in the morning they would be drunk what could after. go wrong exactly what could go wrong <laughs> So yeah, and one one night it actually did go wrong, <laughs> horribly wrong, uh, because two people from that pop crawl spray painted Charles Bridge. Mm. They were caught by police, interrogated, and they sort of found found the connection with that pop crawl and to the John Lennon wall where they would come. So they banned the pop crawl. Obviously, they fined those two people five thousand euros each and uh, banned them from entering Czech Republic for tourism for many years, I think. And then the John Lennon wall also got some security cameras so nowadays you are not allowed to spray paint on it anymore but still if you go there today you will see that a lot of people still spray paint on it it's just not so large scale so open anymore i have i have a thought about the john lennon wall that just occurred to me while you were telling that story Mm -hmm. valerie and that's that when the john lennon wall went up you know, the regime, the communist regime in uh, Czech Republic, former Czechoslovakia, they they did not tolerate dissent. Yet you put up John Lennon and they say, well, John Lennon stands for peace. How can you object to that? So it was sort of a, an underground mm-hmm. way to protest the communist regime without coming right out and saying this is an anti-communist message. Do you think there's any uh, validity to that thought of mine? I think I think so, because uh, prior to the commemoration of John Lennon's death, there was another event kind of similar to this. It's connected to the first uh, president of uh, uh, Czech Republic, Václav Havel, who was uh, a playwright. So he was a fan of one rock band in Prague called Plastic People of the Universe. I hope I'm awesome getting name. this co- <laughs> Yeah, I hope I'm getting this correctly because I think they play psychedelic rock. Uh and the concert was raided by the police, but it was right after or just a couple of years after the famous conference where uh USSR declared that they're gonna respect human rights. 
And then just after that, they violated the human rights. And that was one of the first triggers to kind of start this movement and take it seriously to fight against the communist regime. And after that, the history was basically writing itself. So, yeah, it's uh, it's very similar. Jess Timmons is a Paris foodie guide for Devour Tours. And since Jess is originally from Liverpool, we talk about the Beatles and their connection to Paris. We're talking Paris with Jess Timmons of Devour Tours. Jess is originally from Liverpool, so I got to ask Jess, what's your favorite Beatles song? Oh, I can only pick one. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You can pick as many as you... We could talk Beatles all day if you want. I mean, I've done done whole podcasts on Liverpool before, so we can talk lots Beatles if you like. But, uh, you know, tell tell us your... You know, because you're a person who's from Liverpool... Tell us your affinity for the Beatles. Um, so as a person from Liverpool, you you are born with the Beatles. The Beatles are at every corner of your life and you can't get away from them. Um, and at the age of about 18 or 19, I discovered Revolver. Oh, yeah. My favorite. Yeah. it's. I mean, that's the real fan's favorite band. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I couldn't, I don't think I could pick one favorite song. Um, but Revolver is definitely my favorite album. All right. Well, full respect for picking Revolver because uh, <laughs> that's right at that's right at the top of my list too. Um, and if you want to, <laughs> I'll put a link to the podcast about Liverpool in the show notes as well. If you want to revisit Liverpool, but it's it's definitely a place that if you go to the UK, uh, go to Liverpool. It's worth it. There there is more than the Beatles just there, but uh, the Beatles tours are definitely worth uh, worth your time. You know, the Beatles had some very famous concerts in Paris, and I believe they played a place, I'll have to look this up, called the Palais de Sport in Paris, maybe, you know, sometime in the early mid-60s. I'd be interested to know if that building is still standing because I always like to go to uh, Beatles places when I visit <laughs> when I visit cities, not just Liverpool, yeah. not just London, but other places too, because, for example, a year ago we were in uh, New Zealand and... The Beatles did a very brief tour of New Zealand, and we met people who were in their 60s now who were still talking about it, you know, 55 years later. So that might be an interesting spot if uh, the Palais de Sport is still standing. Do you know if it's still standing? Is that the Buckminster Fuller building? Oh, that's such a great question. I'll have to look it up because it just popped into my mind as I was talking to you about this. So I'll you look it up. You are a real fan. You're much more of a fan than me, you know, Brent. I wish you were from <laughs> Liverpool and not me. Well, <laughs> I actually did a radio show about the Beatles for about five years. Um, oh. So yeah, so I, I'm I'm quite I'm quite deep. I'm I'm very far into the deep end of all this. So okay, <laughs> one thing that I will say when you come to Paris, I have a wine guy. He only stocks natural and organic and biodynamic wines, and he is also the biggest Beatles fan I've ever met. So you two, I think, need to meet each other. He's <laughs> he's on. He's actually right by the Notre Dame. Um, his shop is called L'Etiquette, and he's a Frenchman. But he has met Paul McCartney. Oh, fantastic. He's had Paul McCartney's drummer in the shop and they've drank wine all night. And he's got a million stories to tell you about about the Beatles. So you two definitely need to hook up. <laughs> oh, that'd be great because then I could share my story about that one time I met Ringo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I'm, I'm going to not be present for this conversation. <laughs> I know. It would be a, a deep nerd dive between me and, me and him. Back in the day... 
nearly four years ago now when I started this podcast. It was just me talking about some of my favorite places. And one of the earliest episodes was about Liverpool and the Beatles sites you can visit there. If you're going to Liverpool, there must be a 99% chance that you're doing so because of four guys named John, Paul, George, and Ringo. All four of them were born in Liverpool, and each of their childhood homes is still standing in the city. In fact, Paul's house on Fourthland Road and John's, where he grew up on Menlove Avenue, his Aunt Mimi's house, are still standing and are owned by the National Trust and are available for tours. And you should definitely do these tours. John's House especially, many, many of the early Beatles songs were written in John's, or in Paul's house. Uh, Paul's father loved music and liked having the boys over to play songs and to rehearse and to just mess around with the instruments. Uh, John's Aunt Mimi was less tolerant of the music, and so fewer of the songs were written uh, at Menlove Avenue, although um, I'll Get You, one of the early Beatles songs, was written at Menlove Avenue. George's house, uh, where he grew up, is still standing as well. It's a private residence, but you can go out in front and take a picture just be respectful when you do. Somebody lives here. This is a private home. It's it's not a it's it's not open to the public per se. Ringo's house, last time I went recently, the entire block was cordoned off. All the houses were boarded up, but this is actually good news because the first time I visited Liverpool, which is 25 years ago, uh the first time I was there, There was talk that uh, this whole area was going to be demolished, including Ringo's childhood home, and they were going to put up uh, some commercial development. That never came to pass, and now what they're saying is that this area is going to be revitalized and Ringo's home will be preserved, which is as it should be. I mean, in my opinion, all four of these should be not only available for tours, but also museums. That's my biased opinion, of course, but good news that Ringo's house, uh, right now what they're saying is that it won't be torn down. The great thing about Liverpool is that John and Paul both wrote songs about real people and real places in Liverpool. So there's a lot more to see than just these houses where they grew up. Penny Lane, for example, is a real-life place in Liverpool. It's the song about the roundabout and it's a bus stop. Basically, it's a bus terminal where Paul would catch buses to go to all different parts of the city. And the shelter in the middle of the roundabout from the song, that's still standing. It's still there, as is the barber shop. The barber who uh, has the has the picture of all the heads he's had the pleasure to have known. That's still there, um, as is the bank where the poor banker is teased by the children. So all these places are still there, and you can visit them on Penny Lane. There's also a great photo op uh, of a sign that says Penny Lane on it, and that's a good place to stop to get your picture. And if you go onto my website, DestinationEatDrink.com, there's a video link to Paul's recent visit to Liverpool during a uh, carpool karaoke with James Corden of The Late Late Show, and he actually goes into that barbershop during carpool karaoke and the people are undoubtedly 
and justifiably thrilled when he does so. He probably hasn't been there in 50 years or more. Paul also visits his childhood home and bangs out on the piano a little bit. So uh, that's worth looking up. Also, when you talk about uh, Penny Lane, it's forever linked with the other side of the 45, Strawberry Fields Forever. Uh, That was John's masterpiece written in 1967. And Strawberry Field, also a real place. It was a Salvation Army home for children that opened in the 1930s. John's house was close by. He'd often jump the fence there and play at Strawberry Field. And the Salvation Army folks who were in charge of Strawberry Field took none too kindly to this interloper, and they went and told John's Aunt Mimi, who was raising him at the time, that if John ever came back, they'd hang him. And I always wondered what that song, what that lyric in Strawberry Fields meant, but now we know they'd hang him if he returned to Strawberry Field. Well, that's what the line, nothing to get hung about, comes from in Strawberry Fields Forever. Strawberry Field closed its doors in 2005. You can't go inside, but there's these wonderful gates that are painted red um, at the entrance of Strawberry Field. There's some graffiti on the walls that's often Beatle-related, like I am the walrus and, and things like that. And this is a great spot to get a picture. But the good news about Strawberry Field is that John's half-sister, Julia Baird, is now honorary president of the Strawberry Field Project. And there's now hope that the grounds will open to visitors in the near future, which would be fantastic. It would be uh, another boom for Liverpool because people would pay an admission to go inside. And it would be great for the tourists because you would get to go in and take pictures and see where John used to hang out at Strawberry Field. Another great pilgrimage spot in Liverpool is St. Peter's Church. This is the location where John and Paul met, the most famous rock and roll meeting in the history of the world. Imagine the scene, July 6th, 1957, John Lennon, 16 years old. He's riding on a flatbed towed around the garden of the church playing with his band, The Quarrymen. 15-year-old Paul McCartney is in the audience watching the band play. After they finish, Paul goes up to John. They talk. Paul shows John a few chords to supposedly 20-flight rock. And a few weeks later, Paul is now in The Quarrymen, and the most famous musical collaboration of the 20th century is born. But that's not the only reason to visit St. Peter's Church in Liverpool. There's also another historic landmark there. Next to the church is a little graveyard for uh, parishioners. And one of the markers in there is for one Eleanor Rigby. In 1966, on the Revolver album, Paul McCartney wrote a song called Eleanor Rigby. Beatles released it. It became very famous. Paul was asked about Eleanor Rigby, and he said, oh, I just made it up. Years later, someone pointed out to Paul that there was an actual tombstone in Liverpool at the church where he met John for Eleanor Rigby. It had been there for decades. Well, Paul said, I must have subconsciously taken that into my brain and written a song about it. He could have never known Eleanor Rigby. She died before he was born. But the Eleanor Rigby gravesite is 
in Liverpool at St. Peter's Church. And speaking of Eleanor Rigby, there was a uh, 50s rock and roll heartthrob named Tommy Steele. He was kind of an Elvis ripoff, kind of an Elvis light in England in the 1950s. He later became a sculptor, and he made a statue called Eleanor Rigby, All the Lonely People. This is on display. It's not on display at the church. It's on display on Stanley Street in Liverpool. The most famous rock and roll club in the world is in Liverpool. It's the Cavern Club on Matthew Street. It was originally just a basement for a fruit warehouse and later became a jazz club in the 1950s. John Lennon first played there with his band The Quarrymen, and later the Beatles would eventually play almost 300 shows in this sweaty, poorly ventilated cavern club. Visiting the cavern is like a pilgrimage for Beatles fans. Admission's free during the day. There's sometimes a small fee to enter at night. Going down these claustrophobic steps, I just always think about an afternoon concert with John, Paul, George, and Pete Best on drums playing to ecstatic crowds in this little tiny space with water condensation going down the walls, barely being able to breathe because it's so hot inside. This is the place where Beatlemania was born over 50 years ago. Also on Matthew Street, there's lots of places that sell cheap tchotchkes and all kinds of fun little trinkets with John Paul George and Ringo's faces or names on it. But there are legitimate places where the Beatles hung out on Matthew Street as well. Another famous spot is called Grapes. If you know anything about uh, Beatles history, you know that Beatles used to hang out here before or after their cavern gigs. And if you go inside, there's lots of pictures on the wall of the Fab Four and pictures of the Beatles' first drummer, Pete Best, as well, who played many, many shows with the Beatles at the Cavern Club. But the Cavern Club isn't the only musical club that has a famous Beatle connection. The other one is called the Casbah Coffee Club. And I told you about Pete Best, who was the original Beatles drummer. He was later fired in favor of Ringo. But his mother, Mona Best, opened up this small club, which was originally in the uh, coal cellar of her house. Coal cellar was a place where all the coal was stored. And uh, in the wintertime in northern England, they would burn coal to keep the house warm. Well, her coal cellar, they cleaned it out and they made a club called the Casbah Coffee Club. And they would have teenage groups play. And this was before the Cavern Club days. This was even before the Beatle days. This was when John had his band called The Quarrymen. John was in the band. Paul was in the band. This was even before Pete Best was on drums. Pete was on a completely different band called, uh, in a completely different band called The Blackjacks. Well, when they were getting the Casbah Coffee House Coffee Club open, um, they had to paint the inside. And the agreement was if John and the rest of the quarrymen would paint the cellar, they would be allowed to play at the Casbah Coffee Club. Well, they agreed. John brought along his girlfriend at the time, later to be his first wife, Cynthia, and Cynthia painted on the wall a silhouette of a young John Lennon. Well, that painting is still 
on the wall of the Casbah Coffee Club. You can visit the Casbah Coffee Club. They only take visitors by appointment only. It costs about 20 bucks per person to get in, but you can actually see the spot where before they were the Beatles, they were the Quarrymen, John and Paul playing together, sometimes George too, in this little club called the Casbah Coffee Club. Marshall Crenshaw is an award-winning singer-songwriter and actor whose hits include songs like Whenever You're On My Mind, Someday, Someway, and Cynical Girl. He's also a musicologist with a vast knowledge of rock music, which he displays in this conversation with me. One more time left. Because it was sad. It was so important. I mean, you know, everyone talks about how the Beatles were the biggest thing in the 60s, but Motown may have even sold more records than the Beatles did. I, I don't know precisely how many it is, but every time you look at the charts from the 60s, there's like, okay, there's the Beatles and then there's the Supremes or whoever else, you know, happened to be in the in the top 40 charts at the time. Right, and, the, and Motown was going strong before the Beatles, too. That's That's something that bugs me. You know, it's a silly thing. This is an old man talking, <laughs> but it, it bugs me that people look back to the 60s and just see it through that lens, you know, where everything pivots on the Beatles. And that's just, right. it's so, you know, it's true, but it isn't, you know, it isn't, it isn't. Motown actually was something that the Beatles had aspired to, you know, I remember yeah. when they first came out, I heard uh, an interview with them and, you know, one of the questions was, who do you listen to now who's out there? And like everybody that they named was, you know, like they just name checked the whole roster of Motown, you know, and then they threw in the impressions and that was it. That was what they, this is common knowledge, but you know, that's where they, what they were inspired by, you know, and I think what they aspired to. And the other thing was there were all kind. you talked about regional hits and that was a big deal. You know, I, I lived in Detroit, then I grew up in Chicago and there were regional hits in Chicago, courtesy of WLS and oh, yeah. that were not heard any anywhere else. And then you had um you had guys who were sort of flying under the radar. You had these big groups, you had the Beach Boys and the Beatles and the Supremes and Temptations and all these guys, but uh smaller guys who were who were creating great music. And the specific question I wanted to ask you Marshall is on your first album you covered uh Arthur Alexander's Soldier of Love, right? And yeah, but the, I got it from the Beatles. I, I never heard that Arthur Alexander. Right. Heard. So that's my question, because your arrangement is like the Beatles arrangement, but that song was never on a Beatles official release. So my question to you is, how did you get it? Was it on a bootleg? Because it must have been. Yeah. I, and, you know, I was in this thing called Beatlemania right. for a couple of years, and there were people in the in the casts, you know, my, my peers and, and the whole thing who really, really, really fanatical fans of the Beatles, and they had bootlegs of uh, the BBC radio stuff before anybody, you know, it came out on a CD in the 90s, but uh, these guys had that stuff back then. And uh, that's how I heard Soldier of Love. Bad vinyl bad vinyl bootlegs, I remember those in the, uh, in the 80s, definitely. Yeah. And did that turn you on to Arthur Alexander? Because you were on the Arthur Alexander tribute album in the 90s. Well, I mean, I knew of him because I knew you better move on. That was a hit that I heard on the radio. But uh, again, I didn't hear his version of Soldier of Love till after I'd already done mine and released a record. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Yeah. 
And I thought, well, oh boy, oh boy, you know. I mean, it's just on another level, that record, his record of it. It's unbelievable. I find it, you know, like, honestly, 999 times out of a thousand, to me, like the American original versions of stuff that the British groups did, I, I, I like the American versions better, almost completely across the board with hardly any exceptions. But the Beatles, uh, to me, they did the best R&B covers of any British group. I don't think anybody else even came close to them. It's funny you say that because I talk about that with my friends as well. And I'm like, you know, and then you, you, you love these Beatles songs, but then you listen to the originals and you're like, wow. It's on a, it's a whole new thing. Even, even Twist and Shout, which is one of the great all-time vocal performances, I still prefer yeah. the original. It's just different, you know. It's just got this other, it's got this kind of gravitas to it. I was perfectly happy with the rock and roll music that was around before the Beatles came along. And, uh, but then they did come along and they just kind of added a lot of excitement. That's the main thing is just this energy that they created in pop culture was really overwhelming. Uh, you know, I was a fan going right along the timeline with them. So you were into, for me, um, I'm just a little bit younger than you, but for me it was like those Beatles records were kind of the portal for going into Little Richard and Chuck Berry and stuff like that. But for you, you were already exposed to it, so you didn't have to have that portal open by the Beatles. No, and not only that, but I, I mean... I wasn't just exposed to it. I was crazy about it, you know? Like, I was a real fan of the music as a child. I used to watch American Bandstand every day. Just the way my mind works or the way my brain is wired or whatever, you know, the stuff just really stuck in my head. And I could hear pretty good, you know, musically inclined. I have, like, pretty vivid recall of the records. But the other reason I have such good recall of them is because I've never stopped listening to them. You know, like I could put on a Bo Diddley record right now. It would sound brand new to me. But anyhow, yeah, the thing about the portal, that's right. No, they didn't provide a portal for me. But I really dug, you know, like their now when I listen to their early stuff, you know, like from 63 before they came over to America, you listen to the Motown covers they did and they play the stuff really, I think they play it great and they play it with so much respect and love that that is touching to me in itself you know like i you listen to them do please mr postman and it's like they're saying a prayer or something they just have so much uh again you know respect for the for the sources that was that's the thing that one of the things that i love about them was just they were always like respectful of their sources and like humble in a way, you know, and just in the face of it. It was almost a, it was almost a reverence, you know, because I mean, even if you watch John Lennon doing those uh, Mike Douglas shows in the early seventies when he had Chuck Berry on, you're you're hmm. looking at him and he's looking at Chuck Berry like he's got this this look in his eye like oh my god I can't believe I'm with this guy and he's John Lennon, you know. I know I like that, you know, that humility is cool to me. Okay, there you go. If you want to see Marshall Crenshaw, and you definitely should, he's out on his 40th anniversary tour right now. Well worth it to see Marshall. I've got links to my guest's info as well as the original episodes that they appeared on in the Destination Eat Drink podcast. That's in the show notes at DestinationEatDrink.com slash DED192. 
And if you've been enjoying the show, please rate and review Destination Eat Drink on your podcast app. Just takes a second. That'll do it for this week. Next week, Serbia and Croatia. Don't miss that. Until then, get over to DestinationEatDrink.com. I just published a story about one of my favorite monthly markets here in Portugal, the Agitao Market. They have this bread there that is so good. Read that at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and a guy who plays the Eggman in Beatlemania, Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.